We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 12 with me. In verse, um, verse 13 and following, let me tell you what this is about. Y'all familiar with James Dobson? Focus on the family. I heard him once tell a story years ago about what the Christian life is like, that there is from God who is the designer, there is a design to life, that there is a way to have relationships. There's a way to be married. There's a way to raise kids. There's a way to be a kid. There's a way to be a worker. There's a way to handle your money because God, as Abraham Kuyper, the theologian said, there is nothing in this universe of which God cannot say, that is mine that there's nothing independent of God, especially, I mean, not just the universe and electrons, but as far as how human beings conduct their life. Eternity, heaven or hell, he is the authority over all things. And so he was given an illustration of this. Uh, And there was a fellow he talked about in the late 1800s before Wilbur and Orville, you know, discovered flight, that he was gonna do a little self-propelled flight. And it showed him on the edge of a a building. Uh, For all I know, it may have been the Eiffel Tower. And he had him a pair of wings that he had, like a bat, that they would, he could glide with these things. Excuse me, my ear fell off right there. Okay. And so he had his wings. And uh, he got up on this ledge and they were taking an old grainy film of him. And he would look down at certain death. Then he would look out at marvelous possibility. And you could see him kind of giving him a little test. And then you could see him just imagining, if I leap out, I could glide like a bird, which we've all wanted to do. Or I could fall, sink like a stone. And you see him, Dobson said, inch up toward that ledge, and look out and look down, look out and look down. And he's struggling. Do I believe in these enough that I can overcome natural law through these wings? And then you finally, James Dobson said, you see him commit and you see him leap off and disappear as he falls. And Dobson said, that is the way man is. That submission to God means joy and peace and reasonably success because you're doing it like it ought to be done. Autonomy brings death, but there's something about us that rebels at submission. There's something about us that seems to flourish, you know, at Steppenwolf to where I can get my motor running like a nature's child born to be wild. And I can be, I can have no authority over me and no responsibility around me that kind of Peter Pan mentality of just being free. And he said, I have watched people for years play with that idea. I can submit to what I know is right, what I'm told is right, or I can fly. Will I fly or will I sink like a stone? Well, that is what this text is about. It's kind of like if you go to Vegas, all right? And when you're in Vegas, you look at all the opulence and all the glitz and all the glamour, 
And if someone says to you, boy, this is really something, how do they pay for all this? Well, they pay for it by you, by your gambling. And in the words of the great prophet, Robert De Niro, in the movie Casino, which you shouldn't go see, he says, he says, people come to, Ganza, to Vegas to gamble and they never realize that there is no gambling in Vegas. It is no gamble. The house built it. The house runs it. And the house is going to win. Now, there will be enough people on a short term that win for an hour or so. But if we can keep you there with all the other millions that come, we're going to be floating in dough because it's fixed. There is no gamble. And that's kind of the way that life is. And that's what this text is about. Uh, this text looks at two men. It looks at two choices. It looks at two paths. And it looks at two destinations. Follow me here. In chapter 12, verse 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. To be ensnared means four things. It means that you approach a snare deceived. You don't see it. And then when it springs, you are surprised because you didn't see it. And then you are tied up and bound because you walked into it. And then you're eaten because you're dead and you walked into it. And that's what deceive means, that your words can come back on you. Have you ever heard that statement? Make your words always be sweet because you may have to eat them. That your words are going to come back. How are they going to come back? Anything that you say that can be remembered is a snare. In other words, if you want to be delivered from pain in life, learn to control your tongue because the tongue is the thermometer of your heart. A man speaks out of that which fills his heart. If you lie, we don't have any liars in this service, but in the first service, it's full of liars. Okay. Now, if you lie, that's okay, but you've got to remember your lie. You can't ever forget it because you've got a real universe and a make-believe universe. And when those two universes meet, then you better remember your lie and you better be able to rehearse it. Because once you lie, you got to lie over and over and over again. Uh, when you give your word, you got to swear to your own hurt and it will come back on you. When you slander, you better make sure it doesn't reach that person that you slandered because they will come back on you. If you teach error, someone's gonna live it and go down in flames. If you threaten somebody, they're gonna tell somebody and then that somebody might have a big brother. If you brag, you've gotta live up to it. When I was 14, I made the statement once that in our eighth grade basketball game, I boasted that I was going to score six points at least. And a couple of my buddies, Tommy Lucas, no relation, and Mike Mayfield both said, you're not going to score six points. I said, yes, I am. I'll bet you. I'll really, yeah. And I bet them a dollar I would score six points. By the third quarter, I was ruining my words because I wasn't going to score it. 
and it came back on me. If you publicly criticize, you better be able to say, is this off the record? Because it will reach somebody. If you gossip, it will come back. It's like taking a down pillow and ripping it open and all the feathers go out. Go put them back in there. You're not going to do it. And if you stand silent when you ought to speak up, it'll come back on you. When you raise your voice, we're going to see a proverb that says this, better is a plate of vegetables and a house of peace than a fattened ox and a house of strife. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you grew up in a dysfunctional home with anger that covered that home? If you were a boy, you were itching to get out of there, to get your license and get out. And if you were a girl, you were waiting on that boy with that license to come pick you up. You were saying like Jenny and Forrest Gump, oh God, make me a bird and let me fly away. If you're going to do that in your home, that's okay, but your kids are never going to believe what comes out of your mouth. You're disqualified. You ever had to apologize to your kids? I've had to do that for things that I said. And so the righteous, if you'll look at the end of verse 13, he will escape from trouble. He probably gets that from a psalm, Psalm 119. It goes like this. I will walk at liberty because I keep thy precepts, that I'm never worried about something coming back on me. Uh, John chapter 8. He that keeps my word uh, and abides in me. Oh, how's it go? He that abides in me is truly my disciple. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. The book of James says, he that abides in the law of liberty shall be blessed in whatever he does. The law of God frees you from being ensnared by stupid conduct. It won't come back on you. Jesus said at his trial, you ever been willing to say this? Who accuses me of sin? Would you be willing to say that? Jesus said, ask anybody out there. I'm afraid of nothing. He walked before God. And so, number one, your mouth will ensnare you. Would you like to go worry-free? Shut up. Okay. In verse 14, in an opposite way, a man will be satisfied, meaning you will eat to the full. Uh with good by the fruit of his words and the deeds, words and deeds of a man's hand will return to him. Your words and your deeds, you will, the Greek, the Hebrew says, he'll be satiated when you eat to where you can't eat anymore. Good or bad will come back. It goes like this. Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word mock in Greek is the word mukter, and it means the nose. To mock somebody means you lift up your face. The book of Kings says, against whom have you lifted up your face and haughtily raised your eyes before the Lord of hosts? 
Now, to mock God is when you feel like you can live in contradiction to him and you can lift your face and scorn him because you are so smart. Paul said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked because whatever a man sows, those are your deeds. They're seeds and they're going to come back. Whatever you sow, this you will also reap. Reaping is inevitable. Reaping is in kind. And reaping is in multiplicity. You sow one seed, you get back 30. And so don't be deceived. God is not mocked because whatever you do is going to come back. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. It's called when you're young, you sow wild oats. When you're older, you pray for crop failure. Okay. Whatever a man sows, this he will eat. The proverb says, he that goes forth with his bag of seed weeping shall end thee again, and the end shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And so he that sows to his flesh, to the promptings of his flesh, I will be lustful, I will be angry, I will be arrogant, I will be violent, I will be crooked. He that sows to his flesh, just wait. He that sows to his flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. You're going to get maggots and flies and rotted flesh. It's going to stink. But he that sows to the Spirit, to the Word of God, to prayer, to love, to obedience to God, he follows the impulses of grace. He will reap from the Spirit life eternal. You'll experience divine life. You would know what I meant if you had to, like me, do funerals. And when you bury a good man, there's a lot of people come with a lot of smiles, and they rejoice in that life. But when you bury a bad guy, uh, I don't know what I make on bad guy funerals, but it ain't enough because I've got to dig for something out there that was redeeming in them. And so Paul said it's going to come back. The reason that it says it's sowing and reaping, you sow and you see no results. You wait and you see no results. Then it starts coming back and then it flourishes. And that's the way life is. If, if we did good and you would have money rain on you, okay? If when you did bad, you would have teeth fall out or go bald. All right, bad illustration. If, if you had immediate gumball machine recompense, then what would spirituality be? Spirituality would belong to the most self-centered, narcissistic person there is because you do it for the wrong reasons. And so Paul says, don't be mocked. It's sowing. You may think it won't come back, but it will. Billy Graham used to tell the story when he was young. His daddy would tell him, do not go across the street and steal from that old fellow's watermelon patch because you know better than that. You leave that alone. Billy did it, and he ate a watermelon. The problem was, he said, I ate it behind the shed, and I spit out the seeds. He said, come springtime. Daddy won't know where all them watermelons came from. And Billy said, I had to fess up. It will come back on you. All right. And so, in verse 14, you will be satisfied, and the deeds uh, of a man's hands will return. 
Life is a private garden, and it will reveal your labor. There's two old statements. You never fool Mother Nature, and you never fool Father Time. Have y'all ever discovered that I enjoy reading history? You know why? Because the greatest thing you can learn besides your Bible is history. Because history is the apologetical study of ideas. Lenin and Marx and Stalin may look like smart guys when they talk. But if you'll back up a hundred years and look at Russia, China, Castro, it ain't pretty. And so you, you can't fool Father Time. Good and evil will always come back on you. And so uh, if you have somebody in your life that is a non-Christian, rebels against God and mocks him, once you've told them the truth, don't bother them anymore, but stay close to them. You know why I say stay close to them? Because they're coming down. They're coming down. And you be there for them. I've had to tell parents that. I've got an 18-year-old genius in my house that knows it all. And I tell them, stay close to them. Stay close. Because someday they're going to get married. And they're going to have little children of the corn like them. Okay. You're going to name them all Damien. All right. And so, in verse 15, uh, here's the reason that guys let sin go on and don't deal with it. Because in 15, it is called self-justification. If you've ever done any counseling, 90% of counseling is getting that counselee to quit running and to stop and face truth. If you can get them to do that, you've got a chance. Otherwise, it's like trying to scoop up the last pea on the plate with a spoon. You're gonna chase it all over that plate. Once you get them to back up, and that's why often you can't really counsel anybody until the birds have come to roost, and now they're not going to argue with you. And so, is that rain? Is that thunder? Do y'all hear that? I've gone crazy. I thought maybe it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> I wish it would rain just for my grandkids. They've never seen it. <laughs> you know, I've seen it. I was praying that last night. God, just for my kids. All right. Where am I? Oh, yeah, 15. This is why guys go on in sin. And so you want to remember this when you run into a first service guy. Because that's the way they are, Okay. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. You can't tell him anything. He knows everything. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Whenever you're wise in your own eyes, you do what is called defusing your conscience. I spoke one time in Carville, Louisiana, in the only continental leper colony in the United States. Carville, Louisiana. There's two in Honolulu. And there's one in Carville. I don't think it's there anymore, but I spoke there. And one of the guys that was there was Dr. Paul Brand. That's the leading. He was right next to Jesus as far as knowing about leprosy. He spent his life about trying to deal with Hansen's disease, leprosy. And I asked him once when I was down there. I was a young guy talking to an old guy. 
I was about 23, and I said, why do all of these guys with Hansen's disease, leprosy, have these bandages all over them? I said, are those from sores? He said, no. He said, one of the side effects of leprosy is you can't feel pain. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're, it's like an, an anesthetic all over you. You can't feel pain. And uh, he said, as a result, you'll lean against something hot or you'll do contact repetition on something and not know it. And he said to me, you don't know how wonderful pain is because pain stops you from something that can be death if you don't catch it and pain will show up on you. It's a marvelous gift. Uh, he said, these people can't feel it. And so they will lean on things that are burning. They'll rub something and not notice it and, and they'll have a sore. And I said, isn't there any way that can, you can help them to, to know it? He said, oh, yeah. He said, we, we have hooked up a machine that when they make contact with something for a certain period of seconds, it'll go beep. I said, really? Yeah. I said, does that help them? He said, no. I said, how come? He said, they all disconnect the machine because <laughs> they're tired of that machine going off. Beep, beep. They just unhook it and get burned. That's the way man does on conscience. Amen. Y'all remember the great prophet Pinocchio? <laughs> he wanted to be a real human. And so the, uh, the blue fairy or whatever it was gave him a conscience, Jiminy Cricket. And he put his hat over him to shut him up because Jiminy kept bothering him. And pretty soon you get swallowed by a whale. Okay. That's what happened to Pinocchio. And so when you defuse your conscience and you can't be taught, you're in trouble. Let me give you a good illustration. I've got a book in my study. It's about that thick. It costs 200 plus dollars. It's a physiology book, a college physiology book. It was the best course I ever took. I made a B in it. I'm so proud. Whenever I think I'm stupid, I go back and remember I made a B in that. And that book, if you knew what was in it, you'd be the smartest guy walking. And it's all on the phenomena of the human body. And I remembered reading something in it and I just shook my head and I called Jerry Barton. Are you here, Jerry? He's somebody to blame this on. All right. Where is he? There he is. Okay. Jerry has taught for 20 plus years at the college level in biology. I called him to say, did I see this right? He said, oh yeah, you saw it right. He said, you probably only saw about 50% of it because it's more amazing than you think. You have white blood cells. They're called leukocytes, and they will kill and destroy any foreign thing that comes into your body. Now, if you get an operation and they leave in you like a pair of scissors or a bedpan or something, you're okay because it's not alive. You get an organ transplant and you gotta take pills for the rest of your life because your body knows that ain't me. That ain't me, and they'll go get it. And so he says, you have leukocytes, white blood cells. And he said that they are like security guards. He said they're like customs agents. When you come into a country, you got to show your passport. And that when they get around other cells, which is ubiquitous in your body, they're looking for a glycocalyx, a sugar protein tiny thing. And every cell in your body has a glyco 
calyx, a sugar protein. And your white blood cells will identify it. Don't eat that. Don't kill that. Don't kill that. Because that's him. That's him. That's Tommy. Just leave him alone. And if they get a cell carrying a virus, a bacteria, that what your uh, white blood cells will do is inject into it what is called a suicide package. And it will make that cell begin to replicate beyond itself and explode it. It's like a torpedo. And so it'll take out your bad cells. Uh, and he said, it protects you that if you didn't have those, uh, you would be dead within hours because there's so much out there. And if those white blood cells don't, if they quit responding to that glycophalyx, they'll eat the wrong things. You ever heard of leukemia? It will turn on your red blood cells. But he said, what they do is they'll spot what isn't you. And the problem is sometimes a cell goes rogue and it's called cancer. And what that cell does is it mutates that uh, glycocalyx. It's not the sugar protein, but it's a dead ringer for it. And Jerry told me it's like when you have a key made for your house and it doesn't quite work, it's because there's one maybe tooth on that key that goes an eighth of an inch as opposed to uh, a sixteenth. And that's all it takes. And, you, and it won't work. And he said a cancer cell will mutate a glycocalyx and your white blood cell will let him pass. And then what it will start doing, because it's like a stealth bomber. It flies beneath radar. And it starts doing in uncooperative in your body. It starts reproducing on its own with no sense of organism. Your body grows, but it has to grow in synchronization. Or otherwise you get one ear sticking out like this. You look like a, a junior high student, okay. And so you have to grow in sync. And this thing gets uncooperative and it starts producing. Then it develops just like an organ, it'll develop a, a vascular system. And then it will start drawing off of your esophagus or your colon or breast cancer or ovarian cancer. It'll start drawing off the rest of your body and consuming it. And then it gets too big and starts crowding out something and that's when you notice it. And then they start doing the prostate checks and the mammograms and whatever. And that thing has taken over. And now you've got to either cut it out or you got to kill it, okay? And that's all because your body doesn't catch what is dangerous out there. Now, that's what this text is, that the way of a fool is because he, he unhooks his alarm and he's too cool for school. You can't teach him anything because he knows everything. That in your body, you're a dead man walking when you can't spot what shouldn't be there. And in verse 15, but a wise man listens to counsel. He is convinced that he ain't that smart. And I need to know what God says to walk at liberty. First John 
uh, 1.5 goes like this. Uh, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A faithful walk is not a perfect person. It is a person in the light of God sees their sin and calls it what it is. They're in a constant place, like when you're driving a car. You ever been driving a car and have your steering column lock up on you? You will die in seconds. You've got to be able to modify and stay in where you should. And so a righteous person is always in the light of God's word. He looks at himself and he will always amend his ways to the word of God. When he hears a message that strikes a chord, he goes, amen, amen. He yields to it. Uh, when I was at Herring Avenue Methodist Church as a young boy, my favorite part of the service, Methodist services would last six weeks. I felt. But my favorite part was when the preacher would say, let us now bow our heads for silent uh, meditation and confession of sin. And the organist would play through a verse of a hymn and everybody would sit in silence. And I remember the thought, this is probably the most spiritual thing we're doing is to look at yourself. Whenever I became a Methodist pastor, which was a three-year event, I was going to do that on Sunday, and I said, let us bow our head for silent confession and meditation on sin. I said it backwards. <laughs> Not good, okay? And so that's what spirituality is. You're always stopping. What has the Bible said you're supposed to do during communion? Judge yourself. You stop in the light of Christ, and you amend your ways. Well, keep looking in verse 16. First, you start off the way and you won't listen. And now in verse uh, 16, you now will not exercise restraint. Once it begins to metastasize, once that alien thing starts growing in you, lust, anger, cheating on your income tax, screaming, cussing, whatever, two-stepping it, trail dust. I'm just kidding, all right? In verse 16, a fool's anger is known at once because he does not exercise self-restraint. He sees it, but he won't deal with it. His thought is, if I feel it, then that is the master of the house. Then I will do it, all right? And so a fool's anger is known. Uh, the wise, it says the prudent man, the wise man conceals dishonor. His inside doesn't come out an explosion. What's this text? How's this close? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control to where you can spot yourself. Uh, you can identify it. That's why my hero is Jackie Robinson. Y'all know who I'm talking about? 
Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play baseball. There was a gentleman's agreement that black guys didn't play baseball. They'd gotten into football, college sports, but you didn't play professional baseball. Until Branch Rickey took Jackie Robinson. And he, he set Jackie Robinson down and yelled at him every uh, prejudicial statement he could utter. And he said, you're going to hear that for three years. For three years, I'm going to ask you not to respond. Because if you respond wrong, they're not going to see you. They're going to see your race. And so you can't respond for three years. He died, I think, in his 50s. Uh, and his wife thought that, that the pressure of doing that killed him. That's what she thought. He died of diabetes. But uh, Jackie Robinson would go through a year hearing things that no man should hear. Do you know that Jackie Robinson's fourth best sport was baseball? He was all uh, Pac-10 running back at UCLA. He was the starting guard for UCLA. And track, he set a national record in the broad jump. His brother ran right behind Jesse Owens at the Berlin Games. His fourth best sport that he would play just to keep in shape for football was baseball. And that was the guy, Branch Rickey said, we've got to bring a guy on that's got a master himself. And he got Jackie Robinson. He had grown up in, La in the Los Angeles area. And uh, black-white was not separated as much out there. And so he grew up integrated. And then he comes to pro baseball and everything turned on him. And he was in total self-control for three years. The fourth year, Branch Rickey said, I let him go and do what he needed to do. Abe Lincoln, it was said that his chief quality was magnanimity. The Bible says it's to the glory of a man to overlook a transgression. Christ, while he was reviled, he would not revile in return. That's amazing. Now, before I go on, I probably need to confess something. This is not just my Achilles heel. This is my Achilles thigh, foreleg, and ankle, okay? I, because I know if my wife's out there, she's listening right now going, <sighs> all right. I struggle with this more than anything. If I've got a guy that comes up to me that's an absolute idiot, I'm okay. If I've got a guy that is uh, a heretic, a guy that just says, Pastor Nelson, I hate you, I hope you die, I'm okay. Don't try me, but I, I'm okay, all right. What I can't handle is disrespect. When somebody will, will dishonor, will condescend, you know, with some sarcastic statement that I, up until that point, I will be conciliatory, conciliatory, conciliatory napalm <laughs> right there. Where I'm not worrying about keeping him as a friend or whatever, I'm going to go after him. I have had three occasions since I've been at Den Bible of uh, coming out of my seat at an elder meeting. And I was just lucky enough to have bigger people than me there to grab me and sit me down. That was the way it was in football. In football, you call the plays and everybody goes silent in the huddle. I'm the only one that speaks. I loved it. Okay. And then we would break the huddle and they would all run to the line. I would walk. Okay. And then I would say, 
bow, and they would all bow. <laughs> and the crowd's waiting for the play to be run. I'm not ready. First, I must dry my hands on your butt. Thank you. Hut, don't move. I'm not ready. Hut. Then I drop back, and you've got one job. Protect me. Don't let anybody hurt me. All right. Throwing it. Don't touch me. And so in the huddle, I'm the only one that talks. I loved it. Let's go on. That shows up in ministry sometimes. Shows up in life. And so I struggle with this, of doing something that I shouldn't have done. Y'all ever heard of Andrew Jackson, first president from the West? He was six foot one, weighed 145 pounds. He had had malaria and dysentery. He was carrying two bullets in him, one near his heart and one in his arm from duels. He'd been shot. He killed a guy in a duel. Uh, how many enemy duels he got into? A hundred. He got into a hundred duels. Back in those days, if a man spoke condescending to you, you wouldn't fight him because he might be bigger than you. But you'd say, I'd see you at six o'clock. We're going to have two bullets and two guns. And you, my friend, better be willing to die for what you said because I'm going to kill you tomorrow morning or you're going to have to kill me. And when I'm dead, they're going to put me in the ground. They're going to say, why is he dead? Because he messed guy mouthed off to him. And I told him to meet me, and he killed me, but I'm going to restore my honor. And so if you were a man back in the mid-1800s, you had to be careful about popping off because you would have to die or kill for what you said. Now, generally, they wouldn't duel. They would face each other, and then the offender would shoot into the air. Boom. And you were thought that the other guy, the, he would shoot. Boom. And now you had appeased each other's honor. And that is how a man feels about being honored. Whenever you get a condescending tone, uh, it is the hardest thing in the world uh, to be able to deal with it. So just to let you know that if you think this is hard, it's harder for me, okay? So this is what's gonna get me kicked out of the ministry someday. I'm gonna beat somebody to death with a communion plate out there, yeah. You remember Otama? Yes. He's down in, in uh, Huntsville right now, I believe. Yeah. 12, uh, 6 for good behavior. Verse 17. Uh, he who's, now, we've looked at, you know, having to identify sin. And then you saw in verse 15 and 16 how it metastasizes. You let it fly under the radar and then you let it fly, and you don't restrain it. If you don't do that, it's going to metastasize. And whenever something goes, starts taking over your body, because ultimately cancer wants to eat you, unless you get it out, it'll eat you. And uh, matter of fact, that's a word used in the New Testament about a heretic, uh, where Paul says, uh, their talk will spread like cancer if you don't deal with it. And so it will take over your life to where when anybody says your name, they will think adulterer, violent, angry, sarcastic, drunk, druggy, irresponsible, lazy. That will typify your life is that cancer. 
All right. Well, here's the things that it affects. In verse 17, it'll affect civilization. He that speaks truth tells what is right. A false witness, deceit. I've had to testify at one trial. I was called in to testify. And they made me put my hand here and say, will you tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? What's the last part? So help you God. I will. If you don't have that, your society breaks down. In the Old Testament, there's what's called a trespass offering for violating one of the accoutrements of Jewish religion, the tithe, the uh, some, uh, sacrifice, how you dealt with the priest, your religious life. And one of the offerings is called a trespass offering. And it, one of the things you can trespass is when you are called to testify and you don't. You have to testify because you can't have civilization without the declaration of truth. And in Israel, one man's eyewitness was no good. There had to be true. Two of them, that has to be true. Uh, there was a fellow in the Old Testament named Ahab who wanted his neighbor's field. His name was Naboth. And his neighbor said, no, that was given to me by my father and you don't move the ancient boundary. No, I'm going to keep it. He had a wife, Ahab had. What was her name? Jezebel. She said, are you not the king? You can do anything you want. And she called for a banquet, hired some guys to lie about Naboth. He had cursed God as if she cared. And they killed him. And he got his field. God said to, Abra to Ahab and to Jezebel, the dogs are going to lick up your blood. You will not be buried. I'm going to wipe you like a uh, a dish, like dung from the floor, I'm going to wipe you. And so the line of Jeroboam ends with Ahab because he did that offensive thing of using his position to distort divine law. And so in verse 17, let me ask you, in the American society, are we having a little problem with this? You can't have a civilization without civility. You can't have culture without cult, religious rules. And so your society breaks down when you have no law. And in verse 18, something else breaks down, and that is called personal relationships. Uh, verse 18, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. Uh, do y'all have any ex-friends that are like that? that they can pop off and stick it in you and pull it back out and go, hey, my bad. But they, they have left shrapnel in you. The proverb goes like this. A brother offended is harder to be won back than a strong city. And contentions are like bars of a castle. You did that to me once. Fool me once. That's, my, that's your fault. Fool me twice. That's mine. I'm not coming near to you again. I've had to counsel sometimes men and women in marriage that were having problems because they, well, the last thing to develop in a child, you know what it is? It's an anal sphincter. Y'all know what that is? Let me explain. It's what keeps, see, there's two areas of your life that are open cavities, your mouth and what's at the other end. When you don't have control of them, you're going to defile the countryside. 
And so you've got to keep your mouth shut and you've got to develop something that'll shut everything off. And that's why when you take your kids out to Outback when they're little, they can embarrass you. See, stuff coming out of them. Like my grandson, we went to my daughter-in-law's MBA ceremony at SMU, got her master's in business administration. We took our grandson, TC, he was just a little fellow. And they said, Amanda Nelson. <sighs> Teresa was right next to me with TC. See, mama? <clears throat> you know what Teresa said? Never mind. <laughs> and she raced back to clean that child up. And so a kid will embarrass you. The last thing to develop on a Christian sometimes is his anal sphincter, where you can stink the joint up by not knowing how to shut up. And so he says, you can speak rashly. Oops, sorry. Well, I'm never coming near to you again. And you're going to go through life with a whole bunch of X friends that will not come near you anymore. He speaks rashly, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for the moment that it might give grace to those who hear. Like apples of gold and settings of silver, so is a word spoken in right circumstances. To be a master to be a wordsmith. Because when you speak, you press down your diaphragm, air comes through your vocal cords, and they create ah, a column of sound. And you shape it with hard and soft palates to where you can say, I love all you, or you stink. I can say the same thing. And so that's the tragedy of the human voice. You dig? You can get yourself in trouble because you can let what is in here get up in the air in about two seconds. And if what's in you is bad, you'll, you'll lose some friends. Uh, have any of you ever been comforted by somebody when you were down and they said, hey, God's taken me through this and God's going to take you through Man, you just love that person. You ever had somebody encourage you? You don't think you can do youth ministry? I don't either. Yeah, but I'll tell you what you can do. I've seen you before. Man, you know how to counsel. You, have you ever tried just being discipled so you can counsel? I'm telling you, man, you're good. Made your day. How about to teach you? where you didn't understand something, somebody said, no, you're a little bit off. The Bible says, ah, you just write that compass. You ever reproved anybody? Dawn, I remember you giving your testimony. Dawn Reeves here. Uh, Dawn's first husband, she shared it, passed away. And uh, before that, you said y'all were like this. And Dawn was going to try to get her marriage right and visited with her pastor. She said, you need to be submissive, Dawn. And Dawn said, okay, how long? <laughs> if I do this and this, won't he? And the, the, you said, the pastor said to you, no, you can't say that. You can't say if I do X, Y, Z, this will happen. 
That's called manipulation. You do this and you let God deal with him. And you, I remember you're saying right here, Don, you said it was like the veil came back. I don't have to control my husband. Have you women discovered that yet? I don't have to control him. All I have to do is be faithful and then I can minister and God can kill him. Okay, well, whenever he's pleased. Have you ever had anybody just love you? I just want you to know, man, I appreciate you. I, you're fantastic. Man, I hope you live to be 170. I want to be around you. That just made your day. Anybody ever witnessed to you? If you died right now, where would you go? I'd go to heaven. Why? I've been so good. Look right here. You and God disagree on that. It's Christ. Whoa, thank you. You ever had somebody give you perspective? The loved one died. Listen, we all die. God's sovereign over our death. And we're not going to dishonor your loved one by saying this was merely an accident. God had a purpose. I want you saying that when I die, and I'm going to say it with him die. What do you say? Let's stick together on this. How about a rebuke? You ever done that? When everybody says, hey, you can't talk to her that way. What way? When she drops her purse, you don't kick it back to her. Okay. You pick it up. And another thing, you can't let your kid talk to her that way. She's going to resent you forever. You've got to stop in there and beat that child to the glory of God. Okay. See, your words, that's the closest you can get to God, of, of imitating God is in your voice. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And so your tongue is the thermometer of your soul. Let me ask you something. How many of you this week got a letter from me? How many of you called the church to fix their computer? That was part of my brilliance. If you're wondering how you got that, it's because I wrote it. I can write backwards. That's a fact. Everybody said, how'd you write that in film? And I didn't. I, from the time I was a child, had a brain misplaced. And so I can write right-handed and I can write left-handed. I am, Jim Hill says, I am ambivalent. Okay. I said, not ambivalent, amphibious. That's what it is. And so I can, I can write right-handed and I can write left-handed. I can write on the board here and I can write on the board here. And with my left hand, I can write backwards. Like Leonardo da Vinci's the only other guy I knew that could do it. I can write backwards. Okay. And with my right hand, I can write forward and my left backwards at the same time. I can do that. Uh, it has earned me no money and served no ultimate purpose, but it's great at parties. Okay. And so I wrote this backwards. And a lot of y'all, a lot of people wondered what the heck is going on. That's what it looked like. Okay. That's what it looked like. And what you had to do, you hadn't figured it out yet. You have to print it, hold it to a mirror, or you hold it to the light. And it says what? By this time, you've probably figured out that this letter is written backward. If you're reading this, you are probably holding it up to the light. Do you know that studying the Bible is just the same? First, you must have a curiosity to know what is there, and then you must hold it to the light. The Bible must be held up to the light of the Holy Spirit, and in a manner of speaking, the Bible is written backward. It goes totally opposite to the way we see things. Amen? 
it looks backward. Uh, to study scripture, we must turn and go an opposite way. And because of this, the Bible demands diligence. It does not yield its fruit to a lazy man. Only a seeker will truly know God's word, not those who call the church to complain. So if you never made a discipline of it, pick up your Bible daily, read it with a seeking heart, turn and head the different direction of God and keep digging. Worldly men and the natural eye will always see the Bible as backward. The sinful man will always quit because they don't want to change their direction in life. The lazy will not want to expend the energy to seek God and rebellious men will never hold it to the light. No, as you probably are doing right now, you must lift your eyes and look towards heaven to know what is written. Thank you. Thank you. Father in heaven, we thank you for a time to listen to our kids, to sing ourselves, to listen to the word, even though it's just five sentences, five or six, that we are amazed at the, as the Bible says, uh, all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom is our account that your word sees right into our hearts, just as the eyes of Jesus. No one could fool him. Judas, what you do, do quickly. Pilate, are you asking this for yourself or did others tell you about me? No, you see us. And our day has become so cocky in our looking outward into the universe and inward into a molecule that somehow we have noticed the things that have always been there. And because we know them now, we think they can't be true. We are full of such intellectual arrogance. And I pray that you might make us childlike, for to them, those belong the kingdom of heaven, to read, to bow, and to enjoy. And I pray if there is anybody here that has a, an immune system that winks at sin, fails to restrain it, and is about to have it take over all of their lives. As Paul said of sin, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Might you do a great work in us to make us truly Christian, those like David, who are men and women after God's heart. And if there's any here that this morning that when they are asked if they will go to heaven, if they respond with how good they are, let them know that they, God, Christ, and the Bible are in complete disagreement. That you say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say that the Son of Man came that he might save that which was lost. You say that he died for all, once for, well, for all, the just for the unjust, to introduce us to God. And you say that we are justified by faith. And so I pray that they might come with empty hands and not have to have the horror of being in hell and thinking that you were just a breath away all of their lives. But now there is a interminable gap fixed that none may cross. Might God this very day, they invite the living presence of Jesus Christ into their lives as the uh, 
people at the, at the stable did when he came in. And he will take that, that stable, and he will spread to the ends of the earth. And we'll thank you in his precious name. Amen.